It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. My name is Garrett Shearman. I am a writer for HammerAndRails.com. With me is Drew Schneider, the man who essentially runs the show. I am the audio nerd, so I do the recording and the editing. However, he knows the X's and O's, and that's what this is about. So given that Drew and I, he's a Clemson grad, I'm a Georgia grad, we want to provide more of an X's and O's objective approach to each week's matchup, and that's what this is about. Boilering Up Down South is all about the objective X's and O's. So without further ado, welcome to the inaugural episode of Boiler Up Down South. And now a word from our sponsors. Attention sports fans, are you a fan of an NFL team? Would you love to attend your favorite team's week one game? Well, you are in luck. Fans First Sports Network is giving away four free tickets to the week one NFL game of your choice up to $5,000. The rules to enter are simple. Go to contest.fansfirstsports.com and fill out the appropriate information. That's it. Once you've done that, you've officially been registered to win the four free tickets to any Week 1 NFL game. What are you waiting for? Go enter. Go enter for your shot to win seeing your favorite team. The contest ends on September 4th. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
So we are on to week one from week zero, where most teams start their college football season, and uh, Purdue will be hosting Fresno State, and Fresno State had themselves a, a pretty pretty good little year last year, despite a rough start. Yeah, no, they started off just terribly. Uh, it looked like they were just going straight down the tubes. You know, they started out opening, they won their opener uh, against Cal Poly, uh, 35-7. But then they played Oregon State and lost in one of like the most heartbreaking fashions ever. Uh, it looked like the game was headed to overtime, and then uh, they iced the Oregon State kicker, and then Oregon State put their offense back on the field and won the game with no time left on the clock. Uh, so that sort of put them in a spiral. They went to uh, USC, Lincoln Riley put 45 on them, and then they went across the country and lost to Connecticut, which... How do you lose to UConn? You can't lose to UConn. That's uh, just, like, I don't understand. And then they went to Boise, who was the favorite to win the conference, and lost 20-40. to 40. Um, And then they shook it off, right? They took, went to San Jose State and won 17-10, and that uh, set them on a nine-game winning streak, uh... They came back, got revenge on Boise in the NWC uh, championship game, 28 to 16, uh, and then they just destroyed Washington State in the, in the LA Bowl, uh, 29 to six. Um, so they showed some real resilience there because it looked like that season was just headed down the drain. And uh, for them to start uh, basically uh, 0 and 4 and end up 10 and 4 on the year, uh, that's an impressive uh, turnaround. Yeah, I mean, like, the Mountain West is not, like, a slouch conference. You have some solid competition there with a lot of, and we'll get into this later, but, like, a lot of fringe NFL talent type of guys. Um, and so to go 7-1 in conference and then get revenge against the uh, one team that beat you, that's it's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, starting 1-4, and four, not ideal. Finishing 9-0, and oh, not many teams do that. Like, what? how much money, what are the odds do you think you could have got like after the UConn game, that Fresno is going to finish in the top twenty-five. Right, like <laughs> I, I would not have taken those betting odds. Not that I'm a betting man, but yeah, yeah, like there's no way. You know, if I had said I'll give you whatever, no way. After that Connecticut game, no way they finished in the top twenty-five, but they finished twenty-fourth. Um, and so again, shout out to De Jeff Tedford really keeping them together and. Uh, you know, pushing forward when a lot of coaches would lose their team, especially after that UConn loss. And that, uh, and so, you know, these guys are tough, mentally tough, and they're on one of the longer win streaks in the nation. Uh, so uh, it was a super weird 2022 for them. Yeah, no, and the thing is, it's like, when that winning streak began, it's like both offense and defense started to coalesce at the same time. Like you see some of those scores and their nine game winning streak to end the season. And it's not, it's not 17 to 10, like their first win back. It's, it's like some of these are 44 to 20, stuff like that. And it just seemed like they started to fire on all cylinders at, at, at the time where it mattered most, at least for their, their conference uh, hopes. Yeah, and that's what really you sort of expect out of a Jeff Tedford team that, um, you know, he's just been around, it seems like, forever. Um, you know, he spent some time at Cal. Um, he had that big run where he had, uh, obviously, Aaron Rodgers and uh, Marshawn. And, 
you know, he's a, a quality, quality head coach. Uh, and Fresno's a good spot for him. He's had some health issues during his career, but the man's resume uh, is elite. Uh, 118 uh, wins, 75 losses. He's 8-3 and three in bowl games. Um, coach Cal... Uh, he was 82 and 57 uh, at Cal for his 10 years uh, there. Uh, and he took some time off. He was in the NFL. Uh, he was with the Tampa Bay Bucks as their offensive coordinator for a little while. Had some heart issues uh, that really sort of set him back. Uh, he headed back to college in 2017. Coach Fresno for two years. Had to stop again for medical reasons, and now he's back in 20. Uh, you know, came back in 2022 and. Uh, really sort of took over. He's the 2002 Pac-10 Coach of the Year, 2004 Pac-10 Coach of the Year, 2017 uh, Midwest Conference uh, Coach of the Year. He, his 2014 uh, Cal team finished 10-2 and in the AP Top 10. So this is a guy who knows how to get results, and he's not going to you know, shy away or uh, from uh, adversity. Yeah, and I really feel like for, for him, Fresno State's kind of like a perfect fit at this point in his career because like you know he has been all over the place he's had the well all over the place in California but also like between the CFL the NFL and college ranks like he's done that uh he's come back from it um you know he took that two three year hiatus from being Fresno State's head coach and came back and you know I, I think for an offensive mind like his this is probably you know some place that is his job until he decides to quit uh, so yeah, I mean, but beyond that, you know, let's talk about that offense, right? Definitely. So last year, uh, this was this is a pass-heavy team, which is sort of what you expect from Tedford. Um, last year, uh, they threw the ball 473 times, ran the ball 466 times, so pretty balanced. But then you start to look how you know they produced. So the rushing offense, total uh, rushing offense, 91st in the nation. Averaged about 130 yards a game, uh, and that was basically all uh, on their star running back. Um, and so, uh, you know, not the best running game. They they stuck to it. The passing game is really where they stuck out. Uh, you know, last year, uh, passing offense 27th uh, overall in the nation, 270 yards per game. Um, but where they really excelled was their completion percentage. Uh, they were second in the nation. Uh, 71 completed 71% of their passes, but just sort of give you an idea about what sort of passing offense it is. Their yards per completion was 92nd in the nation at 11.27. So they're completing a lot of passes, but they're not going that far down the field with them. It's more of a ball control rhythm sort of passing offense as opposed to uh, more of a quick strike down the field uh, offense. Yeah, and like you alluded to, with the um, the essentially all the running backs came from from their star running back Jordan Mims, who is a you know undrafted free agent. And again, we're going to talk about the fact that they are uh, always pumping out like fringe NFL talent, uh, late round picks, stuff like that. Um, but this is like the rare instance for Fresno State under like a Jeff Tedford type offense where somebody really just shows out in one position. Um, it's going to be pretty plug-and-play beyond that because, like we were saying, I mean, they, they make a lot of short catches over the middle. Um, they got a lot of guys returning on, on their uh, wide receiver core. Really, it's just going to be replacing the one guy who, 
who really, really uh, made their uh, running game work. Um, um, but even though they're missing, you know, their guy who rushed for almost 1,400 yards last year, uh, they're still returning three of their five offensive linemen. And, you know, that's a that's a good sign for anybody. The other thing they're replacing is obviously their, their quarterback who was drafted by the Saints. Um, but uh, they did get the UCF transfer and uh, Mikey Keene. Uh, he's a West Coast guy who uh, came from the the uh, Chandler, Arizona area where they just pump out high three-star and four-star quarterbacks who excel in what we used to call a West Coast offense. So I don't see there being too much drop-off there. Uh, but if we're talking about quarterbacks, we're talking about how even though they have a lot of offensive linemen returning, they did give up some sacks last year, and this is a guy who's leaving UCF because he got sacked a lot last year. Uh, and I don't think I don't think their new quarterback is is going to be a guy who ever is capable of losing you a game. Like he's very much a game manager, and he's very he's very equipped for this offense that is possession receiving based. Uh, that being said, I don't see him as a guy who's going to go out and like win you a, a hero ball game. Yeah, like last year, uh, Jake Hayner, who's their uh, quarterback, who's now joined a uh, fellow Fresno State alum, uh, which car is in uh, New Orleans? Uh, David Carr is the older one. It's okay. Derek Carr. I can't yeah. keep him straight. I, I, why, do you, why do parents give their kids names with the same first initial? D period Carr. Uh, at, uh, at New Orleans, um, he'll be probably the you know third string quarterback. I haven't checked to see if he made the team, but I assume he did. Um, he looked pretty good. Uh, but like last year, without Hayner, uh, two of those uh, head scratching losses were with him on the bench. So he was uh, a key factor. Without him, that offense just didn't really go. Um, like you said, they just gave up a ton of sacks. Um, and they were ninety fourth in the nation. Uh, and sacks uh, allowed per game with, uh, you know, 2.77, almost three sacks a game, um, which is weird considering they don't hold the ball that long uh, looking for that deep ball uh, on many times. Uh, what I saw looking at a couple of their games was just offensive linemen getting beat off the jump and, and their pocket just collapsing before we even get to that third, you know, that third beat for the quarterback to get it out so um and you know Hayner's not uh Hayner is a little bit bigger uh the new quarterback from F, uh UCF he, he's not a big dude so you gotta wonder if you know is he gonna be able to see over that line he's 5'10 511 um or is he gonna be a guy that just sort of takes off uh, and tries to get uh out to the edge in order to sort of get a better view of what's going on um it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he meshes uh, in the Jeff Tedford offense. Yeah, and that's another like position matchup when we're talking, you know, the Boilermakers versus the Bulldogs is that their, their weakness on offensive line is just the fact that they give up a lot of sacks, or at least did last year, and they have two replacement guys coming in. Uh, but if there's any defensive position group for Purdue that's that looks like they could be world beaters it's definitely the d-line and so you wonder how that's going to affect a quarterback coming into like a relatively new system i mean it's kind of more what he was used to in college or in, sorry in high school when he was setting pretty pretty good completion uh marks there but um you know you gotta think 
a, a defensive line this talented, this big, uh, is going to be able to disrupt a lot of what they might have practiced. I mean, that's a very simple way of putting it, but that's kind of the whole point of the defensive line is to disrupt what the other team has practiced. Yeah, and especially opening with Purdue, this is a very this is a weird front. Most quarterbacks, uh, this five man front, uh, Purdue runs with the two outside linebackers uh, almost exclusively lined up on the offensive tackles. Um, you don't see this very often. It's given the it's going to give uh, a quarterback a lot of uh, different looks. Um, it's also really good at sort of keeping him in the pocket and making him uh, throw. Uh, over that offensive line instead of maybe getting out into some clean air um, and, and having uh, a few more easy rollout completions. Um, so yeah, that's like the key matchup for Purdue is can they take advantage on the defensive line uh, or can their defensive line take advantage of that offensive line and the new quarterback? Um, and some of, some of this uh, ability to just confuse him uh, and make him hold it for a second longer because he's just not used to seeing what Purdue puts on the field uh, in terms of their press coverage on the outside and underneath zones, uh, it could be the deciding factor uh, if Purdue wins this game. Yeah, no, both both offensive line, defensive line matchups, like depending on who you're talking about, are both very interesting in this one because like Purdue's defensive line looks like they're going to be pretty darn good. Uh, whereas Fresno State's returning some starters but has some question marks there given what Purdue's defensive line is good at. And then on the opposite side, uh, Fresno State's defensive line, they're missing their biggest guy. And I know, Drew, you're going to get into him in a second, but they're missing their biggest guy. And most of their uh, experience returns in the secondary and the linebackers. So you're going against a Purdue offensive line that's kind of depleted. That's a nice way of putting it. Um, a lot of a uh, lot of new new guys coming into the fray. So I mean, like, on you can kind of argue uh, from one end it's strength versus strength, and on the other end it's weakness versus weakness. Yeah, I mean, getting into that defense a little bit, they were stout last year, fourteenth uh, in the nation in scoring defense, only allowed nineteen point four yards or nineteen point four points a game. So they held their opponents uh, on average under twenty points. Um, but the good news for Purdue in that beat-up offensive line is they were 71st in the nation in sacks, um, about two, two per game, and that was with their uh, you know, first-team All-Mountain West uh, performer in David Perales, who started 13 out of 14 games, That's, uh, 47 tackles, 16 tackles for loss, 11 and a half sacks. Uh, I mean, he was a guy that was just all over the field uh, for them. And uh, he's gone, so they're going to have to find a path. They didn't have a great pass rush last year, and the guy that was pretty much responsible for all of it is uh, not there anymore. So that's uh, a little bit of a comforting thought with uh, you know Purdue's uh, left tackle. Uh, he's a little gimpy. Um, he's been out uh, in camp with a, a leg injury. And, of course, uh, you've got centers out, and the backup center it could be gimpy, could be out. Uh, and it's uh, it's comforting to know that this isn't a high pressure uh, defensive uh, front ba based on you know what Purdue is going to put up on the offensive line this year. Uh, but one thing they do really well is their pass efficiency defense. Um, 
they don't they're not super aggressive with their pass coverage but just watching the games last year it felt it seemed like every time one of the opponents caught a pass and he immediately turned around and was met by two three tacklers um, to really uh, limit that yak um, and that's, uh, that's going to be an issue for Purdue because of the small receiving group. Uh, Sheffield and Burks are going to really rely on Yak for a lot, uh, a lot of their yards. Uh, that's the run after catch. And then um, and the Graham Hurdle's uh, air raid, a lot of that is a more of a quick-paced ball control. We'll get the ball out to your receivers quick, let them make plays. Um, and so they did a good job of sort of limiting that. Um, they, uh, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, matchup in that secondary against Purdue's uh, receivers. Like I said, luckily, I don't think they're going to be able to get after Hudson Card uh, as much, and Card is a, a dual-threat, elusive guy. So um, it's really going to be a question, I think, um, is if Purdue's receivers can take some short passes and turn them into long games. Yeah, and speaking of speaking of transfer quarterbacks, now we can talk about Hudson Card because he's also coming into a new system, but since we were talking about, you know, their Fresno State's defensive line not really providing too much of a threat at pass rush for a guy who's like not only big, like he's he's built almost like a pocket passer, but he is a more elusive guy. He can he can turn that heel and turn his shoulder and roll out of the pocket and extend plays, maybe pick up an eight-yard gain, maybe find a receiver who got lost in coverage. Um, so, you know, I, I, I mean, I think this is just going to end up being a type of game where Purdue's depth just kind of makes them outlast. Like, I, I, do, I do agree with the spread of, like, around, like, a four-point game, uh, but... You know, I, I really think Purdue's going to outlast them here simply by virtue of kind of just outclassing them at who they recruited from high school and some of these some of these four stars who who have uh, come into their own. Uh, definitely, and you know, you look at that Purdue defensive line, and that's where really they brought in just a ton of experience. Um, their two defensive ends are fifth year seniors and a lot of experience playing in the SEC outside linebackers at Purdue that are going to be able to run four, maybe five guys into that key position and just heat up uh, Mikey Keene all game long. Uh, and that's, uh, again, I think you're right. I, I think it's going to be close. It might take Purdue's offense a minute to sort of get going. Uh, but I feel like they're going to be able to sort of pull this one out in the second half. And also, you got to keep in federation. I would never bet uh, on a West Coast team flying to uh, east the East Coast and playing a nooner because that's uh, that's nine a.m. Yeah, that's a traditionally that is something that like that's professional like, gamblers look, gamblers look at. Uh, that's a, a tough uh, a tough trip to make. Um, you know, obviously they'll fly in the night before and try to get more uh, acclimated. But you know, going out and playing a college football game at nine in the morning uh, for them. Uh, and, you know, they might be a slow start as well, which uh, could help uh, Purdue uh, sort of ease into the game a little bit more. Yeah, unfortunately, I do think that is something that uh, people who schedule the game should take into account so as to not uh, 
screw over the West Coast team sometimes. That being said, you know, hopefully it really does uh, give Purdue some some uh, some sort of real home field advantage. So uh, you know, maybe maybe Fresno State can start another nine game winning streak after a rough start. Yeah, no, that's sort of. Uh, and here's the thing: I really do feel like. Uh... USC and UCLA who will be jumping into the Big Ten uh, next season. I feel like part of the uh, the conditions of the Big Ten is they play only noon games. Uh, that would be my suggestion, but I'm kind of a <laughs> hater. Uh, and uh, so you know, it's just another sort of little aspect of the game to keep in mind. Um, so let's talk about real quick about uh, maybe one guy uh, on this Fresno State team uh, on the offense could you produce some trouble? And I think that's going to be sort of the, the guy they brought in to be the playmaker this year, Jalen Gill. Um, he originally saw, uh, signed uh, with Ohio State. Uh, he's an Ohio kid. Came in as a top 100, four-star, all-purpose back. Um, Ohio State moved into wide receiver. But the problem with, you know, going to Ohio State and playing receiver is if you're not elite, you're not playing – and so he sat for a couple years uh, and then uh, moved on to Chestnut Hill for Boston College. And uh, he's a slot receiver, and he immediately uh, ran into Zay Flowers, uh, who is one of the probably the best uh, you know, receivers Boston College has had uh, probably forever. Um, so he didn't play a ton there. Um, he took his COVID year this year and headed out west. Uh, and he's explosive. If you go back and look at his uh, high school film, man, there's a reason he was a four-star uh, guy. Uh, he's uh, gonna, but he hasn't shown it in college yet. So he's gonna have to. Uh, he's gonna have to keep a lookout for that. I'm, I'm worried about some quick hitters, um, just some stuff over the middle where he can sort of run away from the coverage and turn it upfield and. Uh, Purdue's tackling in the secondary last year was a big issue. Um, so they're going to have to uh, get Gill on the ground before he gets going because once he gets going, they're not going to catch him. Yeah. And uh, speaking speaking of, I mean, like, it, on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, something they're gaining, great in Gill. He's, he's going to be very productive for them, and he's also replacing – uh, Nico Romaggio, I believe is how you say his name. Nico Romaggio, uh, he led he led Fresno State in punt return yards last year and was just like an absolute force when the ball was kicked toward him. Um, and it seems like that's the role that Gill is going to fill. But what they are missing as well is that Josh uh, Josh Kelly, I believe his name is. Yeah, I'll, I'll restate that real quick. Um, but what they are going to miss is Josh Kelly. Uh, a wide receiver transfer out of Fresno State who kind of had an interesting career arc where he balled out as a freshman. He had insanely good yards as a sophomore and then got injured, only played in four games, so took his talents elsewhere. And he's going to be playing in the Pac-4? No, <laughs> just kidding, the Pac-12. It's one more year of real college football conferences, everybody. Um, but no, I mean, like, they... They're kind of reloading at positions they needed the most, maybe outside of DL. But certainly on offense, I think they, especially with Jeff Tedford and the way he's always coached, I mean, like, they're very plug-and-play. It's usually, like, we have this offensive mindset, we have this philosophy, 
we're gonna plug in guys who can do exactly what is asked of them and they're gonna have like a 75% success rate doing that like they're never a team you can count out simply because they always reload like we were saying like that fringe NFL talent they had when we were doing some research about this they had three guys who were uh, waived from NFL rosters and then immediately signed with other ones like they they're always pumping out guys who can give you that edge who can keep you in a game and that's what really scares me about them yeah and you know that's sort of what I'm looking for this uh, Fresno offense is Tedford's really good at getting his guys sort of into space and, and letting them run um, so like last year Jalen Cropper 83 receptions a uh, thousand yards over a thousand yards five touchdowns he's also gone they're retooling that uh, but what you're going to see is a lot of quick slants, maybe some medium slants. They like to work the center of the field between the hashes, and then also some just quick outs to the sideline where the guy's eight yards, cuts out, catches the ball, steps out of bounds, and they run it again. Um, so uh, that's sort of how they just keep going is they're just a good team and spread the ball around. Uh, and Tedford's going to get his guys into sort of spaces on the field where they can make a play. Uh, like, doesn't necessarily mean he's going to throw the ball 40 yards down the field, uh, but instead it's almost going to be kind of like a Purdue, like per, what Purdue wants to do, is just trying to get the ball into his playmakers' hands and letting them make plays uh, instead of maybe trying to go for the big uh, kill shot down the field. Yeah, and I think that's where it's going to be a big uh like quote unquote litmus test for uh, Purdue secondary because you got a, you got a good Purdue secondary and you have a new head coach in Ryan Walters whose bread and butter is hey I coach up defenses really well and I was a really good safety and it's going to be important for the corners to kind of prevent that sort of sideline to sideline short pass stuff happening I don't have too much concern over. Purdue kind of swarming a guy, almost like you were saying that Fresno State does. Like if somebody catches a pass, a slant over the middle that goes for 8 to 12 yards, like it's a bend but don't break type thing where I don't have too much uh, doubt that there are going to be two or three Purdue defenders in the immediate area who can make that tackle. That being said, I do think it's going to be a big test to see how an entirely new regime is coming in and kind of changing the defensive philosophy a little bit and seeing how much they succeed from the get-go. And yeah, you know, you're looking at that, uh, that those Purdue uh, corners out there. Uh, they're tested, but not at Purdue. Um, the first thing uh, Coach Walters did uh, when he came in was basically just cleaned out the cornerbacks and brought in a whole new set of transfers. So we have a Penn State transfer out there. Um, and uh, he's going to be a, a key player for us this year. Uh, but I'm looking for him to really sort of play press man on those outside receivers and try to break up that rhythm uh, of, of the passing game. That's one way I think they can uh, limit Fresno State is to jam, jam some of those timing routes at the line and uh, really make those receivers work hard to get open as opposed to maybe like last year where we would play off uh, on the corners, let them catch it, and then try to rally the tackle. Uh, this year you're going to see a lot more of jamming guys and getting hands in and breaking up passes 
Um, so that could uh, be a good thing against this uh, sort of uh, efficient uh, passing offense of Fresno State. It's going to make things a little bit harder on them, I think, to just pick up those easy yards they're used to uh, getting. Yeah, because going, going back to Mikey Keene, I mean, like, if you look at his stats at USC, or sorry, UCF, uh, UFC, that's a wrestling thing. That's a mixed martial arts thing. Uh, if you look at his stats at stats, Jesus. If you look at his stats at UCF, I mean, 72.3% completion rating, even if it's only 83 pass attempts, like, that's still a good sign. And he got sacked a lot in those four games that he played. I mean, Navy, of all people. I know Navy's more defensive-based than anybody, but Navy came to UCF and gave him an upset, 17-10, to 10, I think. And... You know, he still threw really well. He just got eaten a lot in the pocket. I mean, so disrupting that 72% ceiling that he has, and maybe, you know, maybe he has a 60% completion percentage game, I think that's enough to get, uh, to get the Boilers a win, dude. Yeah, and that's really what this defense is good at, is sort of disrupting some timing and giving that defensive line an extra second to get to the quarterback. So there's not a lot of easy throws um, to, for the quarterback to make to just say, oh, I'm just going to take these five yards and, and move on. Um, you're, they're going to have to fight for those, uh, for those short uh, passes a little harder. And that should give those Purdue uh, defensive ends and outside linebackers uh, who are uh, isolated on tackles and guards a chance to really get after uh, Keen in the pocket. All right, so we're going to start wrapping this thing up, uh, getting ready for, uh, you know, game day on Saturday. Uh, so, Garrett, what's your thoughts here, bud? We're going, uh, we're going uh, Purdue win. You think they're going to beat the spread? I'm going with the Purdue win, and I think they do actually exceed it. I see, I see this game being, I don't want to put a, an exact scoreline on it because, you know, the the way the pace of a game can turn out could be – you know, a hard-fought game that's 17 to 16, or it could be a hard-fought game that's 45 to 41. That being said, I do think Purdue uh, wins by at least a touchdown. I'm going to say Purdue wins. Uh, let's say 32 to 23. I think Fresno State gets a lot of field goals. I think they they get enough into field goal range where they can kind of experience the bend but don't break experience. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably uh, probably how this this goes as well. I, I think they'll stay in the game, but I think it might sort of look like they're in it, but they're just sort of hanging back. Um, and I really want to see what I really want to see Purdue do is is finish a game because last year uh, that's what they couldn't do. They had teams on the ropes, they had Penn State on the ropes, they had Syracuse on the ropes, and they could not land that knockout punch. Um, and this year, I want I want to see uh, them put it away in the fourth quarter. I think you're probably right. I think Purdue is gonna maybe get the 27, uh, 27, 23 right at four. I might be predicting a push there, uh, but uh, I like the Boilermakers in this one. But it's gonna be a good early test uh, for Ryan Walters. And it's gonna be one of the more fun noon games of Week One. I think I. I... I have issues with kickoff times here and there, but I think this is going to be one of the more fun noon games. I think this one should probably be a 3.30. I'm not going to call it a primetime game, but 
it's a good matchup, man. It's it's going to be fun football. It's going to be a lot of strength on strength and weakness on weakness, which I always think is fun. Um, so, you know, I, I'm i just rooting for a good game. <laughs> Let me do that in my southern accent. Yes, sir. It's a, it's going to be a hootenanny. It's going to be a real hootenanny. <laughs> I'll put on my finest haberdashery. <laughs> Anyways, bud, I'm just going to clear this up and finish this up. Uh, any other closing thoughts? Uh, the last one I have is that first, uh, Ryan Walters, when he was at Illinois, his defense has got a lot of interceptions on tipped passes with really tall defensive linemen. And I think that's going to be a huge thing for Purdue's uh, defensive line going against Fresno State's offensive line with a quarterback who's like 5'10", 5'11". Uh, and so I think I think really that ends up being the key to, like I was saying, dropping that completion percentage from 72-73% down to 60, you know? And I think that's what gives Purdue the win. I think that's what gives Purdue the win in addition to, I think Fresno State's going to be gassed like ah, probably eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. And I think, I think the Boilermakers just pull away. There you have it, folks. You can just take that to the bank. You may as well just be printing money for them, Garrett. If they'll take my printed money, I'll give them my printed money. All right. Well, hey, we'll be back next week. This is going to be a weekly thing. We're going to have a uh, review of the game that's going to come out on Tuesday, and then we'll be uh, previewing next week's game uh, on uh, next Friday. So uh, look forward to uh, y'all listening to us then. And we said y'all because this is Boiler Up Down South, which spells out buds. That's right. Now I'm going to head out for some sweet tea. Head out for some sweet tea, and I'm going to get a cheer wine. <laughs>